Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And today on this specific special beer run episode, we have a full lineup of Chris. Hello, Chris. Hey, Carlo. Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Hello there, Carlo. And Pete. Hello, Pete. Yeah, yeah. First time caller, long time listener. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting, interesting. And we are going to be covering none other than the uh, classic uh, Tom Godwin story, The Cold Equations, um, which means, of course, that um, I'm sorry, guys, by the end of the episode, all three of you got to be jettisoned off the pod. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so anyway, uh, spoilers ahead folks. Uh, and, and just, just that joke is a spoiler too. So if you haven't read it (laughs) too bad, (laughs) we've already started. And, uh, anyway, I am going to, uh, open my beverage. Uh, what is everyone drinking this fine evening? I have a Manhattan, my, my favorite cocktail. There you go. I'm drinking uh, Infinite Darkness by Oxbow Brewing, which is a farmhouse imperial stout, uh, owing to the the infinite blackness and uncaring nature of space. (laughs) Is it also, is it also, did you make it cold to uh, Kurt? It was, it was cold and it was also equatorial. That's how that word, that's how that word works, right? Yes. Yes. Sure. Why not? (laughs) I'm drinking a, a Kona Big Wave. Which, compared to what you guys is drinking, is a little bit like having a Budweiser, but I'm having fun. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing nothing wrong with a little bit of craft beer, uh, like craft light beer, you know? Uh, well, I don't even know if it's a craft. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those beers that started out craft at one point and got eaten by Anheuser-Busch or somebody. Mm. Like Mango <laughs> Kart? I used to love Mango Kart, and now I see it in Walmart. Mm. Huh. Well... Well, and I'm going to be doing a flying dog, triple dog, triple IPA, uh, a full 18.6% ABV. So if my calculations are a little off by the end of the episode, folks, you'll know If they're a little cold. (laughs) They're a little cold. (laughs) My takes. My takes are also cold. God damn it. No. (laughs) I I have a proposal for you guys. So, so Kurt, uh, there's an event happening sometime in July, Yes. There is an event happening sometime in July. Yes, on July 16th, 2022. Two days before my birthday. Very convenient. Thank you. (laughs) So my plan is that all four of us bring a case mixed of our favorite beers and we do a potlatch together. That's a great idea. Fantastic. Hell yeah. A potlatch. Oh, (laughs) shit. The podlatch episode. (laughs) Podside potlatch. There we go. There you go. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I'm all about it. Uh, I, I just need to uh, plan ahead, I guess. Uh, unlike, <laughs> unlike this particular episode in like which I am episode. floundering already. Uh, oh no, no, no! I was saying, I, I was saying, un, uh, unlike the the people who who sent out the emergency dispatch ship. Oh, uh, um, well, you know. <laughs> well, they 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 planned precisely so. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is, you know, we, we can get into uh, the critiques of it in a bit, but uh, maybe we should just um, go ahead and let's let's talk a little bit about uh, experiences uh, reading this story, because this is like a, a, a very iconic um, and, and it's a type of story that I feel has broken a lot of brains. Over the time, uh, just based off of the Wikipedia entry and how mm-hmm. how this story is received and how many responses trying to fix the story we've we've read. Have we actually um, said what the story is? By the way, it's it's uh, the Cold I, Equations by Tom Godwin. If we if we didn't, you may have said it right at the start. Mm-hmm. And if and if if so, I'm I'm sorry for podsplaining to you. <laughs> no, it's it's all good. It's all good. You know, it, it, just a, a quick reminder because we did veer off into several different directions. Actually, ahead, it's Pete. those who settle down in Omelas. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, you know, there, there, there's my, you know, you know my take on this, right? Do do a, a response that that smashes Omelas and the Cold Equations oh. <laughs> in one story. Yeah, Tom Godwin, um, the captain of the EDS, has to use a child in his drive. <laughs> the little fucker won't go in. <laughs> there's not enough fuel. <laughs> Were you the one who did the the reference to the Venture Brothers? That was me. Yes. Yeah, that was great. Yes, there's genius. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that wonderful gag where uh, Doctor Venture has developed something called the Joy Can, which is a, <laughs> a a machine that you go into and it reveals to you your fondest dreams. And um, uh, it turns out that that the, the, an essential component of it was uh, an an orphan boy. <laughs> <laughs> not not all um, of an orphan boy. Just, well, just right, part right, of right. an orphan boy. Just part of an okay, orphan boy. Okay, okay. Spoilers for source code, folks. Sorry. Yes. So, <laughs> okay, so but, so may, may I do like a th- like the thirty second synopsis of of go this? For it. Um, so, uh, the Cold Equations is a uh, a sci fi short story from nineteen fifty four, originally published in Astounding magazine. Uh, and um, it is essentially a a it's not quite a moral parable, um, although I, I think it's generally read as one. And I'll 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 get into that a little bit later when I start unspooling my takes. But um, the Cold Equations is kind of one of those like classic uh, space sci-fi um, stories where it is it is nominally you know a far future sci-fi uh, and kind of a a broadly um, colonial expansionist sci-fi setting uh where there is a, an emergency dispatch ship which is this this little kind of very fast uh spaceship being piloted by by one person and it has just enough fuel uh, to get it to get some essential emergency piece of supply from one of these big cruiser ships that we are told circumnavigates the galaxy constantly to one of the distant colonies that in this case may only be like six to ten people and get them in this case an essential uh, supply of medicine to cure a plague and it has just enough fuel to get out there and get back 
And as a result, there are all these really strict regulations, one of which is if you find a stowaway on the ship, they must be killed. They must be airlocked and spaced immediately. And uh, the, the, the hero, uh, so it goes, of our story, uh, the pilot Barton, um, discovers at the beginning of the story that there is a stowaway, an 18-year-old girl um, who does not, who, who kind of, um, you know, naively wanders upon the ship. She wants to go visit uh, her brother, I believe, who is on the same planet, uh, Woden. Um, and uh, so basically from the, you know, the beginning of the story, you're told, well, um, we, you know, the, the regulations dictate she must be spaced. And if she is not put out the airlock, there won't be enough fuel to slow down the ship. And both she and Barton and the essential medical supplies will crash onto the surface of the planet Woden. Um, and, you know, all of the colonists will die. Uh, and so the story plays out, you know, with uh, with Barton basically testing every contingency and saying, well, is there anything that we can do? And he calls the ship and they say, no, there's nothing that we can do. And ultimately, um, he throws her out the airlock and she essentially willingly goes to her death. Uh, and, you know, the, the story very much ends on a note of, you know, that's how the frontier is. Um, you can't argue with physics. You can't argue with kind of the law of space. Um, and as Carlos said, uh, this has broken a lot of brains in the subsequent decades. <laughs> <laughs> one one small um, adjustment to that: uh, it's not that it they can't uh, they can't land; it's they'll run out of fuel because of the exponential nature of how her the the stowaway's mass uh, will affect um, once they enter the gravity well of the planet. Uh, it will exponentially increase the amount of fuel and they'll run out of fuel uh, right, somewhere in but, the upper atmosphere. But yeah. I thought it was because they wouldn't have the fuel to slow down and so they would crash into the planet because they'd be going too fast to safely land. Weirdly, I mean, I think either way, the, the <laughs> everyone dies rather than one person survives to yes, deliver yes. the- Yes, it's, it's, it's a classic thing. one person dies or everybody dies- um, story including the one person is, is and, and is i think that one of the things that um that you pointed out uh rather rather uh aptly uh kurt is that this predates the actual setting up of what we know as the trolley problem as a sort of psychological uh or, or you know psychological experiment or um or thought experiment uh, by several years if i'm not mistaken it was uh, originally devised as what is it? Nineteen sixty-seven, I think it was. Yeah. So this is like thirteen years beforehand, and I I think that that kind of psychological or philosophical quandary existed. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly it's like a it's a foundational idea of like utilitarianism, which you know yeah. obviously significantly predates the, the the story. But like, yeah, the the formalizing of that as like a a you know a thought experiment hadn't hadn't happened yet when, yeah. when this came out I mean out. uh I, I was just pulling up uh an interesting article uh over in Lightspeed that goes over like prior to that um I think a, there's the claim by Kurt Busiek uh among others that the cold equations is borrowed from an EC Comics weird science tale called A Weighty Decision by mm -hmm. Al Feldstein or Feldstein um so, you know, it has sort of a, a lot of the same elements, you know, a rocket, not enough fuel, too many passengers who weigh too much. Uh, I, <laughs> that's I, a, that sounds weird. Uh, as an addendum to, to that, though, what one of the notes that I liked is so famously this story, um, 
uh, noted asshole John W. Campbell. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that's not that's not up for dispute. He's a, he's a prick. Uh, terrible politics. He's like mm-hmm. a far right kook. Um, uh, you know, his he he insisted uh, and sent the story back to to the author Tom Godwin multiple times, uh, saying, "No, the girl has to die. You have to write an ending where the girl dies." And he kept trying to say, "Well, no. What if she lived?" And the, there's speculation that the part of the reason that that uh, Godwin kept trying to come up with a solution where uh, she would live was so that he wasn't just ripping off. The original story. Um, uh, but there's an added complication, which is that EC Comics would routinely steal stories from magazines like Astounding. And so, hmm. like, arguably, this is just stealing something back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, two things I want to say. I'm not sure if this will land, but oh, he went there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wrote, uh, Campbell wrote Who Goes There. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, Who Goes There. Yes. See that 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 shows you right away you shouldn't air, you shouldn't shove people out of the airlock because they come back as weird uh, shape shifting aliens. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the other thing I wanted to call out here is what I tied this back to even even before the other space stories like it is this uh, drawing lots on a lifeboat. Oh yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. yes. And, yeah. and actually, Thought experiment has been going on for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, you know, you know, Pete, I'm. I'm glad that you mentioned lifeboats because, and I'll I'll just kind of pre-tease one of my takes, which is one of the central objections to this story is that it's it's like the author's hand is too much on the till, or you know, it, it's it's too it's too nicely set up. Um, to to which my my response is basically, you know, there is a famous incident of a boat that sank because there were not enough lifeboats on this very <laughs> large, one might say, a uh, Titanic boat, um, and so some people had to die, and they had to choose who got to go uh, on the lifeboat. And, and if I'm not mistaken, the the there's lots of cold water around. Yes, it, there's right? there's lots of cold water. There is probably some some equations as well. So yeah. Um, so so yeah, I, I'm glad that you mentioned lifeboats because this is this is not the, you know it, although it, it is it is it is true that the story is very neatly set up. Um, it's not like it's not something that doesn't happen. Like this this is something that happens somewhat regularly. Although it probably won't you know God willing happen to you. It it happens. <laughs> You're also right about having the author's hand on here. Like one of the things I thought when I was reading through this was. Like he could go like the only way you can live is if we have sex. <laughs> oh. You know what I mean? Because like the whole thing is boxed from the beginning. There are no choices. They can't cut pieces of the the, the ship off and throw them out the window. Like there's, there's also also oh, not oh, not Pete. really advisable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you know, oh oh the the we'll the one thing yeah the one thing that's protecting me from the vacuum of space. <laughs> one weird that. trick that emergency dispatch ship pilots hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus that there's a window at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you should you should have really just uh, uh, peed and and crapped out the airlock yourself. You know. <laughs> yes. So you were so worried. Can I ask a question to kind of frame this story? But before we we just kind of go off on our our takes on it, which is, what do you think of it as a piece as just a piece of fiction? Like put put out of your head the response and the reaction to it. What did you think about it just as a piece of fiction is it good is it bad is it well written with the things you liked what did you not like like 
I, I think that's a good place to start our discussion of it. Because I, I think that's something that gets overlooked by the the weighty takes about it. Yeah. I'll go. Um have you ever had a turkey that was cooked too long? <laughs> yes. Yes. The story has been worked and worked and worked until it's completely dry. <laughs> hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Um I, there, there's a lot of parts of it that I'm like shut like shut up. <laughs> stop <laughs> telling stop telling me things. How, uh, like um the part that jumped out to me the most is when um, is when uh, Barton, the pilot, like calls the mothership and is like, I've got a stowaway. And they go, you've got a stowaway? Yes. Is there anything we can do? No, there's nothing we can do. But let me ask this other guy if there's something we can do. Other guy, is there something we can do? No, there's nothing that we can do. <laughs> um, however, I, I will say um, uh, the, the beginning and some parts in the middle are very, very elegant. I love the beginning. I found it like chilling the way it was like, mm. like, like there, there, there was another person. He was not alone. The first yeah. indication mm -hmm. was this gauge movie. That was the classic sci-fi opening. And I, yeah. I love that part, but yes, I, I agree. It's, it is, I, it is overcooked. Yeah. I, I agree that it's, it's, it's very, um, you know, most of it's just pretty serviceable, but the, the, um, I, I did particularly like the, the sections where, um, the, the stowaway, um, her, her name is escaping me. Oh, Marilyn. Marilyn. She, yes. Marilyn. She, where she's like uh, talking with her brother. Cause there's like a slight window where they can like say hi before, right before they like pass the, you know, penumbra of the, of the, whatever the, the planet. And they won't be able to talk anymore right before she has to, um, you know, walk herself out the airlock. And I, I thought that was pretty well done that, that particular mm -hmm. section. I, I did feel, even though it was like very, um, in, you know, written in very like fifties, like stilted, like goodbye, sister, have a good life. <laughs> like, like, I'm just, sorry that the cold, I'm sorry that the cold equations have made you step out the airlock. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, they, they don't say like, I love you. It's just goodbye. Like it's but like, apart from like the, the weird fifties, like stiltedness of it and like, you know, complete lack of emotion. Like there, there is, I, I thought the writing at, at that part was good. <laughs> Tell my brother. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so um, have a cigarette, which we think has health benefits at this time. <laughs> oh God! Don't get me started on foundation and how much like uh, nuclear <laughs> stuff there's everywhere. <sighs> anyway, uh, I, so I, I think I, um, I I I I approached the story from like a more of a writerly uh, point of view in the sense that I, I understand why there's a lot of that repetition. Um, I also understand why, like, it had to be a girl, and you know, and so on and so forth. It's it's mm -hmm. the same reason in my in my view as uh, the the reason that you have to have it be a child mm -hmm. uh, at the center yes. of Omelas, right? Yes. Uh, you're 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 setting up that that the victim of this is an innocent. Uh, and and to your point, Kurt, I I do think that yes, there is a lot of space devoted to like, you know, him trying to, you know, go up the chain. But I will say that I do, I did really, really appreciate that you do get a sense of there is like a, it's not just because he wanted to, and he's just following orders. It's like, yes. yeah, there's like an entire structure mm -hmm. that he's going up the chain and trying to figure out different ways to maybe sort of manipulate it. Uh, and and no, it's not happening. You know, uh, I, I did appreciate that a lot because I don't get that 
that strong feeling of sort of like a social hierarchy in a lot of stories these days. And this really has it, you know, it, it has like the, <laughs> the regulation number and everything, uh, you know, that, that posits that you need to basically jettison any stowaways mm-hmm. regardless. Right. Yeah. Um, well, part of it uh, I'll, I do, I'll say is, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, please go ahead. No, no, I was just going to uh, round out by saying that, yeah, like the the beginning, uh, like you said, it's very effective. Uh, to your point, Chris, I thought that her conversation, like the, the sort of like the stoicism displayed in her conversation with her brother and like that small window really works to sort of ramp up a little bit of the melodrama yeah because it's 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 melodrama it's fine yeah but it is melodrama a little bit you know it's perfectly fine because she's gonna die bro (laughs) i actually loved that they introduced um that that uh godwin introduces like a like another source of tension because like you genuinely are like is she going to get to talk to her brother and it's 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 not i i would say it, it is needed because the whole from like the second paragraph, it's like, oh, there's somebody on board. We're gonna have to throw her out of the airlock, you know. And you don't know all the details, but that's the central question that provides mm-hmm. all the tension. And so, again, um, I'm a big believer in you need to go beyond the basic concept of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's going beyond the basic concept of the story. It's being like, well, is she gonna get to talk to her brother before she dies? That's an added mm-hmm. extra thing that you're not really thinking about when it starts. So I I I, I did think that that was good. Um, let me ask a a very Pete like question. Do you all know what an ollie is? Like a skateboarding ollie? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, so I'm so, aware of it. Yeah. So so yeah. So most people probably know an ollie is a a jump with a skateboard. The mechanics of which are are complicated, but basically you you kick back on the back of the skateboard and you jump up and it goes up in the air. You're, you're, you're kind of simultaneously jumping yourself and also kicking on the back of the skateboard so it flicks up underneath you. Um, the ollie was not invented for the first like 30 to 40 years of skateboards existing. Um, once somebody was like, oh, I can do this, everyone was like, oh yeah, I, I can do this. This is very straightforward. But um, it's to the point that it's it's like it's literally like the first trick that you learn now. But 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 there was a whole history of skateboarding before anyone invented the ollie. Part of this story, I think, is inventing the ollie um, mm-hmm. in the sense of like there's a lot of sci-fi tricks that I think if you wrote this story now, it could be like one third of the length. Like mm-hmm. the idea of somebody having to get pushed out an airlock is a very obvious modern like that. That's like that that's like a a cliche now, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of you know the the space frontiersman adventurer is a very cliche thing now, but in I mean, 1954 it's, it's, it was less established. So there's a lot it's of like effort. In the, it, it's ahead, like in ahead. the first episode of the Ex- Expanse, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just it's, like it's spacing somebody. Basic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you say spacing somebody, people are like, oh yeah, spacing somebody. It's like yeah. when you say space marine. You know, now we know exactly what a space marine is. But just like how Frank Herbert had to write Dune without the benefit of everyone knowing what a space marine was, and I, I guess like Starship Troopers is, is is essentially has you know space marines. But um, but like there's a lot of stuff in this story that wasn't as well established in 1954 as it is now. And so yes, you could write this in like a third of the length now. But I think I think it can be forgiven for a lot of that like place setting and the fact that again it was 1954 they didn't have all these like cliches of having you know a half century well, I mean, of sci-fi yeah. television to lean not, on. Not not to mention the space race itself, like. 
Yeah. You know, right. They, they couldn't lean on the actual space that existed in the real world either. Yeah. Right. The, I'm, the, I'm like, sorry, the science, Apollo, I should say. Apollo 13 hadn't happened yet. They, they You know, yeah. people hadn't been stranded in space desperately trying to solve, you know, a, a ticking time bomb type solution, like, like a pr- problem. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I think this story can be forgiven. The fact that, yes, it, it over explains things, but like they kind of to somebody in 1954, they probably kind of needed to be explained to, especially yeah. when they were thinking of space in terms of like, you know, uh, Flash you know, Gordon, Lieutenant. Or... Yeah, yeah. It's 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 Lieutenant Space McSpace Man, and he's here with his laser rifle, and he's going to be fighting the aliens on Turgon's <laughs> Four. You know, like <laughs> like this is this is a different type of sci-fi that would have been less common to 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 some readers at at the time. Yeah. With with everybody's permission, I'd like to take a step back here and talk about uh, the significance of the story, which I think we haven't done yet. This particular story was in either volume one or volume one B of the science fiction hall of fame. And basically if you are in that collection, that means that your short story essentially survived to a larger audience. Whereas Mm -hmm. most other stories from that time did not. Mm. I mean, it's like, it was significant at the time and it survived the great leveling. Yeah, yeah, and and it it definitely has, as evidenced by the fact that you know what I'm sure we'll talk about later. Like, it's still fucking with people's brains to this day. <laughs> People are still red assed mad about it. <laughs> They're very mad about it. I, I've uh, seen so many mentions of it on Twitter in the last like week or so. That like, there's a reason for that. Yes, there's yeah, there there is a reason. That, there, there's a recent story that came out. But anyway, uh, I don't I don't want to get off track there. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean. Uh, I guess the the one thing that I've had, um, like even even people that I know who are you know like in science and stuff like that, I was like, oh, they they sort of dismissed the story as like it's contrived, and I was like, yeah, well, so is every story. Buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Not, uh, hey, this story's just made up. <laughs> like every story is made up by an author <laughs> to constrain a specific like narrow it down to a specific scene problem uh you know outcome you, so on and so forth so i i don't know what to tell you when you when you come at me with that <laughs> it it surprises me so uh, you know carlo you had mentioned the the wikipedia section on the reception of the story and it surprises me that cory doctorow is one of the people making that ar- that very argument about oh you could see the hand of the writer because you you know, I I gave him a lot more credit than than that. Um, of, of just like, cause that that's such a, I, that's very a very facile criticism. I I think because like like you said, like yeah, it's like if that's your problem, go you know maybe don't like go outside and look at nature because like that's the only like unmediated thing that you're gonna yeah. like see. Everything else <laughs> are, is. Are you, uh, Chris, it, it are you trying said, to say that he should go touch grass? Yes, very yeah, Corey nice Doctor, Doctor, go touch Doctor. grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a former Podside guest. Uh, we should be. I mean, and very nice I, man who's right. He, he was. He's very yes. He's very nice. But but I also like. I think I had mentioned. Sorry for that- blowing up your spot, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let let's be real. One of the things about Corey Doctorow that I respect is that you can disagree with him, and it's not a personal slight. And that's mm-hmm. that's like hen's teeth rare these days. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> well, I, I will I will so- say that in a a 
perhaps not a defense, but I will point out that he wrote that particular uh, essay where he cites the cold equations and uh, Farnham's freehold. Holy, um, that story? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I've never read, I, I've only read like a Starship Troopers. What is it's it? like reading a turd. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know why he chose that to, um, to compare against the cold equations, which is rather staid and, um, and actually rather well argued. If we wanted to get into the structure of, you know, what the argument is being, the, the argument that's being made in the in the story is, but um, I, I can't opine on <laughs> much of Heinlein's work because I've only read like three or four uh, works of his and. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a fan. Uh, Have but, you but, read *The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress*? Sorry to sidetrack. No, I, I've not. I, Please I know read that, it. Please yeah. read it. You would enjoy I, I, it as a leftist. I, yeah, I, I assure think you. it is a deep I exploration I, of age of consent laws. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard that criticism, Pete. Uh, <laughs> it's ephibophilia on the moon, if you will. <laughs> yes, but, um, but it's the moon part that you should pay attention to. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Free tip to our audience. If you're looking for a story to submit to any smaller magazine, what I propose you do is take the cold equations and rewrite it with Joss Whedonisms. Oh, oh God! <laughs> the cold, anyway, the cold um, Whedonisms. Uh, so, so uh, going going back to the Doctor O thing, uh, I think the only thing that I would point to is the date that he wrote that essay, uh, okay. which he wrote it in 2014, which is probably right in the middle of. Puppy, puppy debate time. Gotcha. Uh, so, and and I, I do think, um, you know, uh, maybe I can get into it now. I do think that a lot of the reexamination and the responses to older stories like Omelas and the Cold Equations uh, are specifically designed um, because. In 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 response, they're designed to sort of address Poe's law, right? It's like, oh, you know, people can't. We can't trust people to get the right, right, you know, the the right interpretation out of this story. So I got to write one that's really on the nose. I would, I would, I would quibble with that a little bit. Um, I think that it is a failure to embrace death of the author when when doing literary interpretation. I mm -hmm. think that a lot of the reappraisal and, and I'll, I'll say there is a difference between between Omelas and um uh the cold equations and the central thing is Omelas was written by someone who is broadly speaking a leftist in modern mm -hmm. terms, right? Yes. Um and uh certainly the not not necessarily written by but the cold equations was certainly edited and and shaped by someone who is, let us broadly say, a shithead, um, and so I think <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> that that a lot of the drive to reappraise the cold equations comes from the desire to defeat uh, uh, Campbell, basically, mm -hmm. and and say, oh yeah, well fuck you, Campbell, and and you know what the thing is though, um, you don't need to go after the story to do that. The story itself contains mm -hmm. the the necessary components. To make a completely different argument than than the one that Campbell was probably, you know, to be honest, in intending. Like the if you read the story as being written from in in a very, you know, in, in the sense of like the narrator is Barton. And so mm -hmm. Barton's ideology and Barton's conceptions about the world are what informs the narrator. 
um, then you don't need to rewrite the story because the only one who's telling you that, you know, it has to be this way is Barton, who is part of a and who is, you know, part of what is clearly an, an unjust system. So you don't need to argue with the facts of the story. It works perfectly fine. But I, I think that the desire is there to say, like, oh, well, the story is wrong. And by stating that the story is wrong, I have proven that, you know, Campbell himself uh, well, is, but, is wrong. But Kurt, that that like just going back to the original story and, and reinterpreting it and just not really doing much else uh, wouldn't sell your story. This is true. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, and, and, and I'm being a little bit glib there, but, but, you know, I do think that you're absolutely correct. Like this is, there is a, there is space, I feel, to reinterpret <laughs> the story. <laughs> There's uh-huh. a lot of space. There's a lot of space. <laughs> it is cold and, <laughs> uh, and it has equations. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's there is definitely space to sort of look at the existing story as it is and realize, oh, this is actually a criticism of not only because there there is there is a lot of um, maybe not a lot uh, there is a part where Barton is uh, sort of going on about like well if this had happened more you know closer to the uh, core of you know whatever the earth commonwealth is or whatever the you know whatever the the empire is um every everything you know every effort would have been made to save maryland right they would have sent some somebody out but this is the frontier hmm. and, and a lot is made of the fact that maryland doesn't know it's the frontier and she doesn't understand she's not she's she's ill-equipped She's her, a girl. Her, her foolish feminine <laughs> brain cannot grasp. Yeah, she, she's got. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's got girl cooties in the brain. Sorry, yeah. she can't think about those things. Yeah. I mean that that is that is more or less the the biggest uh, critique I could have about the the story is that Marilyn is. I think you had you had called it, uh, Kurt, like a uh, G Willikers, Mister. I yeah. sure hope <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> This whole thing smacks of gender. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think in a way in discussing this, Chris and I are in one boat and Carlo and Kurt are in another. And that is because apparently something happened to make the story catch fire recently. And Chris and I don't know why. I mean, don't let me put words in your mouth, Chris. No, I I, I am entirely clueless. So I do need words put in my mouth. So, so. Carlo, um, when when it gets to that point, you should explain that because I actually haven't finished reading the reason okay. that it, that it it caught fire recently. Fair enough. Um, I I sort of judged this story by reading the Science Fiction Hall of Fame volumes one A and one B because like I've had that collection since I was eight, and you know I've got them on my wall, and it's sort of a it's sort of a nice page through of of that era of science fiction it's obviously not complete but it's it's complete enough that nobody's ever gonna call you the fuck out on it you know (laughs) (laughs) but like the story i could be wrong here but i think the story right next to this one is the marching morons and have you guys ever read the marching morons (laughs) i I can't say that i have i haven't read it but i've seen them the, okay the marching (laughs) morons it's like somebody watched idiocuracy and went 
we've got to get more racist. Oh. <laughs> like there's, there's a guy wow. in the past who ends up a thousand years in the future and mankind is divided between two classes of people. The vast majority of people have an IQ of around 50. And then there's like 1% of the population that has an IQ of like 300. <laughs> and so this guy saves the world by building gas chambers. Oh, oh my God. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I don't like that. The idea that you'd pull this story out and go, what the fuck? What were they thinking back then? This is the story that crosses the line is amazing. <laughs> there is well, a there, there's an element to this story though that i i think i think um gets mis not not misread exactly but it it it's it's strange uh to modern readers where they read it and they think that the story is trying to persuade you to adopt the world view that girls are these precious you know fragile beings and that we need to be tough men and hard men out on the frontier but the actuality is much like you know much like lovecraft is not trying to persuade anyone to be racist he was just racist and most people reading it would have been racist and been like oh yeah i i, I i'm already a racist he's not trying to convince you of racism he's just <laughs> writing from a racist point of view the story is just coming from a very sexist imperialist colonialist colonialist point of view where the frontier is good and cool that's like davy crockett shit right that's that's awesome it's not trying to convince you that it need to be that way and so in a way it, it opens itself up to more subversive reinterpretations because it's not Unlike whereas a modern story usually feels the need to declare its whatever its its mm. its ideology is in some ways you can be like oh okay this is written from this point of view Th this story is just like well everybody thinks that you know young pretty girls are worth saving um, I don't need to convince you of that that's self evident uh, and and I, I think that that's a central like conflict point that makes it read much more inf inflammatory now than it would have read you know. 30 or like 40 years ago, much less, well, you know, 55 I, years ago or 65. Years yeah. Ago. I, I think that also one of the things that uh, has probably prompted a lot of those responses is the fact that uh, to a certain extent, it's, it's there, but I don't know that it's, you know, like that wasn't the point. Uh, and going back to the, the, the reason I say it's not the point is because I'm going back to, and, 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 you know, nod to your point, uh, Kurt, it is, it is sort of like a, a weird misogyny, you know, that, oh, well, you know, uh, women are these soft, innocent creatures and so on and so forth. But, you know, the, the point of the story is to present an innocent that is now become the victim of this system. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of the interpretations that we see now of the story are jumping off of this idea that, oh, well, you know, that's, that's fridging. We shouldn't do that. That's bad. Um, and, and that brings with it a lot of different other issues that people attribute to the story, which I, I do still agree with you, Kurt, <laughs> that you could read the story. I read the story for the first time like what a week ago and thought it was, you know, pretty good. You know, at least it, it, it dealt with its, you know, premise and went a little bit beyond it and did what it needed to do. 
and I did not feel like I was being sort of preached to or trying to convince me of anything. Like I understood right away. Oh, this is a bad thing. <laughs> well, one way to look at this is that the EDM, the ship, is healthcare, and the girl stowing away is Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is that we should just eject Bernie Sanders. Uh, oh, yeah. For- <laughs> well, I mean, quit trying to improve things. We do not have capacity. Yeah. <laughs> so Bernie I, Sanders I, I, would be like, I, I must go out of the airlock. Uh, it's it's uh, important to me. It'll help other people. I'm just I'm just imagining him yes. like floating out in space, but like in the pose that he had with the little mittens on, like <laughs> yes. just grumpily, yeah, <laughs> floating. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, if we're getting into like takes about the story itself, I, you know, I I was kind of like developing like an almost like anti-capitalist reading of it, where it's like the system is designed to you know maximize uh it, it doesn't really come to profit but it's more about like maximizing this the colonial spread of mm-hmm. the earth empire and in in order to do that you know everything is run on the most margin uh, you know thin margins possible mm-hmm. in order to spread as further as possible as far as far as possible and you, you know as and um you know to do and then in order to do that you know that puts people at risk of where like you know, only one person can be on this ship anymore is going to just be completely expendable. And, you know, like we do that every day. Like we, you know, we, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, sort, uh, goods and, and, um, resources to people and other people are go without and end up dying because of it. So this is, and you know, that's horrible. Like the, the, the horror we feel of, one innocent person dying for the sake of everybody else is something that we feel that, you know, is, is it happens every day. Um, and, and so I, 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 I thought I appreciated it on that, um, you know, coming from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, mean, I agree even- completely by the way. And, and this is a take that I was saving, which I will now deploy because you have teed it up nicely for me. This story word for word reads equally as well as someone trying to behave ethically under mm-hmm. capitalism. Mm. Which is mm-hmm. that it is somebody who is who is within a system that and let, let's be clear here, um, Barton's life is no more valued than Marilyn's life. Right. He also does not have a margin of error. If he screws up even slightly, he will die just as cruelly and just as pointlessly as she dies. Um, you don't need to change anything to include a an anti-capitalist interpretation of this. It exists already within the story you know when when it's a question of you know somebody who works at a healthcare company and is making the the determination of whether somebody gets a life-saving surgery mm-hmm. um and their job depends upon making a negative determination saying no you don't get it um there's there's no difference be- between this story and what somebody uh, you know in like a very capitalist realist sense has to go through um it functions exactly well because it is written in an in-universe point of view the it, the the author may have their hand on the scales, but the narrator does not. The worst that you could accuse Barton of is false consciousness, and that is a very relevant topic here and now. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, I I think I think that the um, I, I I totally agree with that. Like honestly, the the more I think about is sort of like how constrained Barton himself is, where he's he's like you know to to whatever degree he can. Uh, sort of agonizing over 
because it, it I, I do think that the story does a good job of explaining that he was ready. And this is, again, we're, we're going to loop back to some of the uh, sort of like the misogyny uh, sort of necessary for the for the viewpoint here. But he was ready for a dude. If it had been a dude, he'd you know, blast oh, he, it through ready. Bye. He, he was so ready to, to space a man. <laughs> he was just like, oh, man, if only this was a man, he'd be out the door. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and he's completely, you know, like really sort of uh, at sea once the, th- the, the door opens and it's a girl. And he's like, well, let me call everyone I can to try to figure out a way. Is there any loophole I can use? Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, to your point, Kurt, uh, or, 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 or Chris, actually, um, you know, Barton is precisely the worker who is suddenly like, oh, well, there was a bunch of layoffs in the company and now you got to do, you know, five people's work suddenly. Yep. And, and, and just and, and and he knows that if he does the right thing, the right moral thing, other people will suffer. Mm-hmm. And it's not like that's it's not like that. That's a made up scenario that happens happens all the time um well and and so if if i can uh talk about like the trolley problem again right there is a variant right and this is the variant that uh i I, apparently in um sort of experimentation people recoil from the most right so instead of it being the regular you know like the trolley problem if no one's ever heard of a trolley problem it's basically you're standing at a at a lever that can uh that can switch tracks and the trolley there's a trolley that is out of control it can't hit the brakes something's happened you can't do anything about it and there on one track there's one person that is unaware of the situation. And on the other track, there's five people and you hold the lever in your hands to switch tracks, to send it either to the five people or the one person, which people. And, <laughs> well, that's the question, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't invoke the snow piercer protocol. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, but there is a variant that is not exactly that, that you were on a bridge overlooking the tracks, same scenario. There's five people on one, you know, more people on one track, one person on the other track. Uh, and you can throw there's on that bridge. There is a very large person. And you can lay hands on them and push them over. And that large person will stop the trolley. But you actually have to actively push them over. And I believe that uh, this is a long time ago. So please forgive me. Um, I I heard this and basically that was the one that really sort of caused a lot of division uh, amongst test subjects. They did not, because that's the thing. It's actively taking part in a murder to save someone. Yeah. Uh, whereas the, the lever allows you a certain abstraction from the process. Hmm. And this story is exactly the variant. Yeah. You actually have to actively kill someone to save others. Mm-hmm. And I believe part of the, the, the recoiling from this story is exactly that it's, it's that same variant to the trolley problem. 
and to be honest, it is a good it 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 is a good quandary. Um, and here I think as well, kind of transition a little bit into talking about the responses to it, right? Which is much like the trolley problem, like you you do have to make a choice, right? Like even though it's contrived, um, it is the question posed to you. It is it is not it, it is not a trick to get you to say that you would do something evil or to convince you to do something evil. It is a it is a tool for exploring moral decision making, right? Because you can say, oh well, you could take the the strict utilitarian viewpoint and say, well, it's six people versus one people. That's you know one person. This is this is an obvious choice. Or you can say, well, you know, we it's it's a question of agency. You know, it's it's a question of you know individual decision making. It's a question of you know what is you know who is the one person versus who are the six people is is the one person a genius who might cure cancer is the are 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 the six people nobody it, it, there's there's lots of you know it's it's a it's a it's a test or it's a mechanism to put different value judgments uh through including your own um and so many of the responses to this i'd say basically all of them are based on the idea that, that the question is invalid um mm-hmm. and 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 to me this is a refusal it's it's a refusal to engage with the story on its own terms which is you know within the context of the story as unrealistic as it may be barton still needs to decide and so the question remains like what what is the moral decision how do you feel about his his decision and as unfair as it may be Sometimes things happen that are unfair and they can be very revealing of, mm-hmm. you know, the way that you that you value and, and judge things. And you, and you can certainly argue and say that Barton's decision was was evil or, or that, that the, the scenario itself reveals a deeper evil. But if you can't answer the question, or you can not at least ponder the question um, that you can't if you can't if you're not even willing to consider a no win outcome where there is no nice win. Um, that to me is suspect and suggests mm-hmm. to me that um, you are avoiding scrutinizing your own value judgments. And I think that's what makes people mad. I I agree with you about 80%, but there's a 20% of me that sees the value of, I know I can do this to you, of moo, of unasking the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, while fundamentally, like, this is a thought exercise that that there's some legitimacy in exploring it. Like, the the way out of the, oh, God, the Kobayashi Maru here is to say, <laughs> fuck off. Because, fun- yes. like, fundamentally, it's wrong on every level. And while I think there's value in exploring no-win situations, I, you put any one of us in this situation, we'd get out of the fucking thing. Have you ever heard of a movie called Touching the Void? No. Um, it's it's a documentary, actually. It's very good. Uh, I will say it, it is about two mountain climbers who perhaps inadvisably um do a, a two-man climb of a very difficult peak. I want to say it's in like it's in like Patagonia in uh in uh, South America. Um and uh there's an avalanche and they slide down a cliff and they wind up in a situation where one man suffering from frostbite is on top of the cliff. The other man is at the bottom of a rope dangling like 40 feet down in, in, 
in open air. He cannot he cannot reach anything. He's just hanging there. And the man on top is um, not strong enough to pull him up owing to, you know, exhaustion and, and the cold. And he has to decide what is he going to do? And he has to live with the consequences. Um, and it's true that any question asked of you, you can say, I, re- I reject the question. But um, sometimes the purpose of the question is is to put yourself in a situation where you can't reject the question. It's true that you can you can always reject the question. You can reject the question on on a math test and say, well, I, it, it, which you know, two trains uh, leave two cities that are fifty uh, that are fifty miles apart, and one is traveling twenty five miles an hour, and one is traveling seventy two miles an hour. When will they meet? I reject the question. This is made up. Um, it, it, there there is a there's an aspect of it where there's still value of pondering it because even an unrealistic scenario can arise so i i agree with you but under the under the scenario i i, I still come back to you should still be able to uh, to to humor the question before you reject it you should be able to say under, under the circumstances here's how i would act but this is a constructed scenario therefore you can't deploy it as an example of you know universal decision making etc cetera, etc cetera. okay uh, then well, I mean, then we are aligned Okay. I mean, it, I I think it, it it also um, and and I'm gonna pull in like I remember back in, uh, I I want to say the early 2000s or whatever. There, there was like a big protest with uh with Vieques in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and you know the Navy bombing it, and one of the protesters was like a a well you know well known uh Independence Party, um politician who was then brought before a federal court and he you know stood up and and said you know i i do not you know i do not recognize the authority of the us federal court on this decision blah 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 which he's correct in the, <laughs> the principles of the matter but he's in court right now so yeah. you know that that's an interesting showboat thing but you you actually do have to deal with the fact that you are currently in court. The court does not care whether you acknowledge yeah. its, you can, its existence. You can, you can be morally correct and in jail at the same time, unfortunately. <laughs> as, as we've learned from watching many, uh, you know, watching My Cousin Vinny many times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but so- I think that the the issue is that you know, and and I, I I joked about the the Snowpiercer protocol, which I sort of like had a gestalt moment when at the end of the movie, you know, they blow up the train. It was like, oh shit, that's the fucking actual solution to the trolley problem that is actually fair to the people outside of the trolley. Um, but but you know, the the thing here is that uh, if I may reference the games the horror games episode that uh, I did with Trevor Strunk you know the 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 trolley problem if we looked at it like from a realistic on the ground sort of metaphor you know we are all brought into this current system i cannot say well i opt out of this world <laughs> Right. Uh, you just can't. Yeah. You have to decide. And and part of the trolley problem is accepting the fact that you can fail better, but you still fail in a certain sense. You know, you, you still kill the one person. Should we talk about um wh- why this has been in the discourse recently? Because we've 
we we alluded to it, but we didn't actually provide an answer. Yeah, we, we've danced around that a little. We bit. are fifty so, minutes so, in, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well, right? Um, so there there was a recent response to this uh, uh, by uh, an author called Amy Ogden, um, and uh, it called the Cold Calculations, uh, published in Clark's World. And uh, I do have to say that uh, that that reading that story made me want to go and read the original and for that i thank it uh but that may that may be <laughs> that may be it <laughs> that may be and, the only thanks i give so it I, I i haven't finished reading the story yet so i i don't want to come in like guns blazing but essentially from what i got uh of i, I read about half of it um, the, and this is entirely my fault where I was like 10 minutes before the recording, I was like, oh, I, sh I should read this. Um, it, it, it essentially imagines a, a postscript to this where instead of putting her out the airlock, Barton, who I think is actually renamed in the Alvarez, Ogden, to, to, to Alvarez mm -hmm. um, says, wait, no, fuck this. And, and like, he literally says, fuck this. Like that, that's literally in the story. And that's certainly something that I, I could, I could criticize. It does feel a bit, it feels a bit on the nose where suddenly the, so, so, suddenly the guy, suddenly the, the guy who was like, like a hardcore, like company man suddenly goes, wait, no, I've seen the light. Um, I've had my, my political awakening right now. And suddenly um, I, I understand the violence inherent in the system and, <laughs> and commits to finding a way to save um, Marilyn, who I think is renamed to something else in, I in the Ogden version. Who's, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. And, and the will, rest of the story is essentially kind of like wish fulfillment of like, well, what if, what if he, what if he rejected not just working within the rules, but, but trying to attack the situation head on? And I don't know how it ends because I didn't No, no, it. no. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's, I I hesitate to say worse, but but it is sort of weird, weirdly meta, in that it has an interstitial. So so this is a story that has several interstitials throughout, where it um a, it deals with uh you know sort of like systems that have been unfair to other you know people. Uh, I believe the first interstitial is about one of the radium girls uh, getting you know like basically being you know uh, in her last stages of cancer where they're you know she's losing teeth. Um, there's another one that's about Yuri Gagarin. Uh, there's I forget. There's a couple of other ones. One about the the somebody uh, some Chinese worker on the on the rail lines uh, who is you know sort of like trying to get treatment for some sort of sickness that's running rampant in the camp, uh, and so on and so forth. And so there's an interstitial about three quarters of the way through, perhaps a little bit more uh, further on, where basically it makes an appeal to the reader directly to the reader uh, that if you, the reader, can then decide to give the ship a little bit of a push, uh, all of this would have been, you know, all of this uh, heartache could have been avoided. And suddenly it, you, we come back to in-world, you know, the ship, the EDS is suddenly like has a bunch of fuel because, you know, all of us sort of like uh, believed in fairies enough and clapped. Um, and uh, and so then we 
you know, he decides to go to drop her off and then go back to headquarters because he's got a few desks to flip. That yeah. is the actual wording. Which is seriously, which is frustrating because um, capitalism is not cruel for no reason, right? It's it's cruel for the purposes of 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 profit within the system. It's not like it's it's capriciously saying people have to suffer. It's it's it is uh it is as materialist an interpretation of the world as communism is, except the goal is not universal well-being, it is it is profit. And mm-hmm. and so it's it's not the the premise of the story almost feels like well we could just have a better world if we believed in it which is which is bullshit um <laughs> you can't just believe your way through a revolution and through a fundamental change of the system um it is a system and if one thing the well-being of individuals within it goes up an- another thing the the well-being of those currently benefiting from the inequalities of the system does does go down um, you, there, there's not, there's not just, just, you know, free floating, uh, uh, like graft within the system that can be universal. It, it's, it's like, it, it strikes me as, um, when, when people say that we can fully pay for, uh, universal healthcare merely by eliminating tax loopholes and introducing efficiencies and nobody has to lose anything. And it's like, <laughs> mm, I don't really believe that. I think that <laughs> well, I mean, actually people who are very comfortable now, May actually need to be a little bit less comfortable, and that, that yeah, and yeah. The, the willingness to accept that is necessary to change systems. And so that's why stories like this rub me the wrong way. Where it's like, well, no, we can, as you say, we can just clap our hands and say that we believe in fairies, and everything will will get better. Um, and that really bothers me because improving the world requires hard choices, just as much as uh, existing in an unjust world. Yeah. I mean, and and you're absolutely correct. This is a a so so the response, um, whereas you know the original story uh, isn't trying to sort of like pin the blame on anyone, but it's pretty clear. You know, it's it's not like it's trying to hide from it, but the response is weird in the sense that it it sort of. It feels like it stems to your point, Kurt, from this idea that, oh, a rising tide lifts all boats. So no one has to lose anything. Everyone can win. And you're like, no, that's no, that's not how that works. There are some equations that need to be balanced. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But, but, you know, I don't know, man. It's such a weird thing to then, uh, because the the Alvarez doesn't decide to do anything except oh I'm going to go back to headquarters and flip a few desks to show well, people you know if you're in Barton's shoes isn't the like most morally correct I I, I mean personally the most morally correct decision is like because uh, I get the impression that he's not actually piloting the ship right he's just like there while it's going there I, you know. It, at no point does he say, "Well, I'll just leave." You know what I mean? Like um, that, that. You know, that was the thought that I had. Was um, you know, there, at, there, there seems to be no. Um, the only per, you know, Barton's not expected to be the one to sacrifice himself. Which I, I, you know, that's what I 
that would be my solution to that at least. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Within the sexist view of 1954, I, I I think you're supposed to understand that he is a hard man of of expertise and skill, and yeah. that she's a nobody. So I I right. I did take away the idea that he is essential, um, gotcha. and, and and she's not. I yeah. I. I think I think if you wrote this story now, even if you wrote it from the point of view of like like a sexist, misogynist nineteen fifty four guy, you would probably include something where he's like, "Well, I could, you know, sacrifice myself, but that, you know, she wouldn't be able to pilot the the, the craft." Right. But it, it right. feels it feels like a twenty twenty one objection. Yeah. I I I did I did have that thought though. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think I think that if you were to write this now, you could have exactly that. But then, like, have him return, and he gets a piece of flair for you know doing the right thing. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, in that, like, you know, in the reception uh, part of the wiki uh, of this about this story, uh, you know, I mentioned Corey Doctor O before. Uh, hi, Corey, if he's listening, but um, which I doubt he is. But um, the, the the actually the the things that that made me matter were the people who were like trying to solve it with like physics and things like that, like. <laughs> Like people who are like, this is just poor engineering. I was just like, first of all, you're you're missing the point of the story, and and then second of all, like, you know, like I I think the pandemic laid bare like the in you know in uh, the inadequacies of our current system, particularly like uh, if you're familiar with uh, just in time shipping or whatever it was mm-hmm. called, where it was like you know the grocery stores keep their stuff stocked. Based upon the number of people who have bought in a certain period of time, and then like there's this like algorithm that determines how much to ship to the store in the next order or whatever, based on yeah. what's been purchased before, and you know that and that led to the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Like you know, like well, I mean, it, I, I would I would say that like the post-apocalyptic um, stories of old. Where you could, oh, we found a, a grocery store. There's still beans on the, there would be no beans. There would be right. nothing. Well, well my, 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 my point is, though, that the, the just-in-time shipping stuff is is designed to have the barest of, like, just enough to fulfill whatever demand that might possibly be there, but not more, so you're not, don't have, like, extra. And that's the well, whole point yeah, of the exactly. story, whereas there's, like, oh, there's no extra fuel because we don't consider that there's going to be another person. So, yeah, like, yeah. The, you know, this, I, I found that very relevant where it's just like, yeah, the, this is designed to be the barest, thinnest margin of, uh, of you know, whatever needs to be done and no more because that's yeah. just not in the, the profit schedule or yeah. whatever. T- well, to your point. There's a point here where there's an obvious thing that they didn't do that they should have done that destroys the story. And so like I just give it suspension of disbelief, but I find it impossible to believe they don't weigh the fucking ship before they send it out. <laughs> that is that's funny. True. Yes. Yeah. And, and so so um, I actually okay, okay. So let me try to run through the objections real quick here. Um, we've already alluded to the engineering-based one, which is well, there would be fail-safes. There would be more margin of error. We've already kind of talked about the Titanic example. Sometimes it's not that 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 happens. It's not like that's a made-up thing 
Um, and certainly, again, under capitalism, there is a uh, – it's funny because I believe that Cory Doctorow even mentions that there is a moral hazard component. Yeah. Capitalism itself is a moral hazard. That's why it's bad. <laughs> yes. um, so, so, yes, people under-engineer things because of capitalism. That's why – Theranos was a thing. It didn't work. It could have made money, and so they were fine with it not working. So that that that's that's reasonable to me. Um, there was the question of uh, there there was a there was a 2019 tour article that said why didn't they put more locks on the spaceship so that Maryland couldn't get in there, <laughs> and, which is which to me is this is basically just like uh, the the argument of like well why why weren't there you know hand railings on the Death Star? It's, very, <laughs> it's like well I I mean sometimes there's not like honestly like if you if you go onto like an oil rig if if you read about industrial accidents the the most common thing is something like there was a safety interlock that should have been there that the crew found irritating and so they put like a piece of wood to stop the safety interlock from engaging and that's why like um. Uh, a, a big part of the reason that I think three uh three mile island happened is because there was a warning system that always went off. So they just like put a like a piece of paper over the warning light. <laughs> for like that that was always fake. So we're just going to ignore it now. Um. So that 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 happens. Um. And then the other one is is uh is is I guess just the the idea that um you know like well actually there's always a way. Which no, there's not. There's not always a way. Um, sometimes there's not a way like there's there's nothing completely unreasonable about it. So to to me, all of the objections to the premise of the story, while while broadly true as an argument against this being the foundation of a belief system, doesn't actually defeat the story, nor should you try to. Well, it, it, it's very like, you know, cinemasins of like short fiction where it's like, who the fuck cares? The story is what it is. Like, you know, you don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like well, uh you know, like the, the the you're supposed to take the story as it is and not try and like, well, you know, there there's this big plot hole here that like, you know, uh, you know, the the the, the what the trailer for the cold equations actually would look should the what's that called the the, the real trailers or whatever they're called, yeah, I, I don't know, I, it, it just seems like a very like unfulfilling and pointless way to interact with any sort of you know fiction. So I, I will point out that a lot of the criticisms of the story point to things that are outside of the frame of the story, which is weird. Why not just criticize the story? Right. Uh, yeah. So, oh, well, you know, we don't get we didn't get anything about like the security system. There wasn't, there weren't any like Dr. O's uh, point regarding like, uh, well, they, they only set up like a warning sign to keep people you know, that said, you know, keep out, you know, gross. <laughs> what What is it? Gross and slimy girls keep out or whatever, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so what that, that happens outside of the frame of the story. The story starts when <laughs> Barton, looks at the gauge that used to be at zero and now is at, at, at you know more than zero and he realizes that there he's not alone in the ship that's it you know sure you can argue about you know stuff that didn't happen outside of the frame before the story started yada 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 it's about as fruitful as arguing about the amount of angels that are dancing on the head of a pin 
It doesn't matter. It's also a good argument that you haven't read other science fiction from the 50s, for Christ's sake, because they yeah. all yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fine. I, I, I understand the reasoning behind it, but also it's like, okay, you got to engage with the story as the story itself. You can't be like, and, and, and you know, like, circling back to like i reject the premise you know it's like no the story's right there just read it read it <laughs> just, and, 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 and to me to me doing doing a subversive reading of the story where barton is just fully encultured into the system is much more interesting to me than changing it to where one character is like wait i understand now here's the ideologically correct viewpoint i i i really hate um stories where there, there, there there's a character who has to understand the author's viewpoint and be like, wait, let me let me explain to you why it has to be this way. And and to me, that's that's the weakness of again the the, the first half that I did read of the Ogden version or the Ogden response, which is like it's predicated upon Barton suddenly or or, or you know Alvarez in in the new story suddenly mm-hmm. realizing that actually it's unjust. And it's like well. Well, like people don't really do that. Like that, yes, it's you, you. You can you can always have somebody. You could have you could add a character to you know, um, uh, Jurassic Park, and be like, wait, no, everybody stay in the jeep, you'll be fine. And they go, oh, okay, yeah, absolutely, yeah, that would have been better. And it's like, well, well, yeah, but but people 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 operate within the parameters that they have learned and established, and and so if anything, it's it's more dishonest to just have somebody who understands the correct point of view so that they can be there to st- to to speak the words and change the world. Um, so usually that 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 doesn't happen. Yeah. So uh, I did want to point out that um, the the eighties, not the 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 Jordan Peele version the 80s uh reboot of the twilight zone had an actual episode of uh, the cold equations and it's rather good um and and honestly it does a lot of the same things that uh it's funny because it does a lot of the same things that um that the ogden story tries to do right where they they try to you know, sort of like, oh, we're going to pull off these panels and try to see if that, you know, if we jettison that, well, will that be enough to, you know, get enough, um, uh, get enough, uh, you know, like weight lost from the ship and yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's really interesting because it's, it's rather a, a, a distillation of the entire scenario. And of course it's, it's for, you know, Audiovisual purposes, it's not. Uh, it's not going to be quite as long. I, I was surprised um, when I looked at the word count. It's it's like a, a novelette. I, I still did can't not believe that. that. I I thought so. I I actually re-downloaded the PDF that I read, exported it into Google Docs, and checked mm-hmm. the word count because I was concerned that I had read an abridged version of it, and I, I hadn't. It was ten thousand. It was ten thousand like four hundred something words. I was like, I, I, yes. I cannot. I cannot believe that. It's it's, it's it's wild, right? Because I and 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 I'm, maybe it's the 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 strength of the writing. I mean, and and this is even with our you know sort of like uh, critiques of the like the redundancies and like you know can we do anything, Captain? No, we can't do anything. Uh, you know, pilot and blah, blah blah and so on and so forth. Um, you know, it's got a lot of uh, redundant uh, dialogue. But then again, you know, there's a lot of storytelling. Uh, podcasts that do the same thing that annoy the crap out of me. Um, but, but I will say that it did not 
this story does not feel like 10,000 words long, um, partly because there is that tension. And I, I to your point, Kurt, I think that uh, it, it's probably refreshed by the fact that um, then we have the 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 whole thing where is she going to be able to talk to her brother before the the planet you know rotates to its dark side and they can't get transmission you know that type of thing uh which you know also melodramatic but it fucking works i i don't know what to tell you read the story is it i'll is, is it i'll tell you it it does hold up it is yeah, an unusual it throwback but it does it does hold up I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, put aside like the the stuff that we've already talked about. Uh, definitely go read it. Uh, we can probably uh, include it in the uh, show notes um, because it is out of copyright, if I'm not mistaken. It is, yes, it's public and, domain. Yes, and I will also include the link to the Twilight episode, uh, the Twilight Zone episode that I was watching, which is rather well done. So. Um, I wonder if that's one of the episodes that uh, George R. R. Martin worked on. He he worked on that uh, that uh, version of the Twilight Zone. If I'm not mistaken, oh, he did. Uh, he I I definitely remember that he was involved in one where it's like a, a weird uh, alternate history where Elvis didn't die or something like that. I I forget. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> President Elvis. <laughs> 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 George R. R. Martin, go write for the World Weekly News. Uh, <laughs> have you guys ever read Elvisy? No, I don't no. Know that I have. Jack Womack writes this series of books where uh, Elvis is worshipped as a literal god. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, I have missed your presence on this podcast so much, and this is why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Pete- I have done some t- a little bit of typing back and forth with with Carlo. I'd I'd like to become more involved if you're down, man. Of course, absolutely. I, I, dude, it's, yes. it's your podcast, much more so than ours. We are we 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 are just the the caretakers. The, yeah, we're the feeble uh, stewards of Gondor. I'm gonna say you guys <laughs> you have the car keys though. <laughs> yeah, Pete was just waiting for the time to be ripe uh, to then assume. Being the high king of you know all oh, of yeah, the yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just eating those those fucked up little tomatoes or, or berries or whatever he was eating <laughs> oh, like, oh, over oh, my fingers. Oh, oh. Did uh, <laughs> Kurt? Did you ever see that uh, that change.org petition that was like, please sign this petition for John Noble to uh, apologize for eating tomatoes? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because it's true. Like I I'm like traumatized. Like like did he bite his own tongue? What the fuck is going on with that shit? <laughs> insane but uh but yeah yeah pete you are always welcome here there's always a little bit more room in the pod uh for you and you will not be jettisoned okay okay well i mean just so long as there's enough fuel i'm happy <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure back at the you know home base yeah uh, I, I don't need to flip any desks at headquarters for that Car- carry an integer here or there and <laughs> that's the other thing by the way which which bothers me is uh, this is a little mean but <laughs> that that view of what is necessary to to change the system of being like i'm gonna flip some desks i'm gonna say the f word in an email is just really 
bothers me. It feels so un in line with being involved in organizing or, you know, socialist groups or where the scope of the problem is so is so massive, right? Where yes. either either extreme measures are required or reasonable measures over a huge uh time frame and 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 it just feels like a like a false payoff it just it feels it feels so phony it feels like it 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 feels like going to you know a four hundred dollar 25 course meal and getting a fortune cookie at the end of it (laughs) (laughs) i mean it it feels it feels like being promised revolution and at the end they say well you you got to vote for warren if you don't vote for her well she won't win yeah barton goes back and like flips over tables and people are like barton's an op He's an op, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah, it, it just, it, it frustrates me because it it flattens the the human cost of of change, where yeah. many things in this world are are um, true but stupid, uh, <laughs> and and just pointing out that they're stupid doesn't get around the fact that they are true. Pointing out that capitalism is is fucked up doesn't doesn't really do anything about it right like carlo i I think you even made the point of like the you know the a a response would be much more impactful where if you know barton had this crisis of consciousness on the way back and said fuck this i'm gonna i'm gonna crash into the headquarters like i'm gonna take everybody out i'm gonna become like a (laughs) 9 11 headquarters that would that would be be much more that would at least feel emotionally real do you know what you're describing the the ending of the original version of the Running Man book. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. you're right. You're right. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, he crashes a plane, doesn't he? Yeah. In, in, yes. Like the in, into the, yeah. the, the the like the TV network headquarters. Which yeah, I mean, does does isn't reminiscent of anything that makes people uncomfortable. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> so I well, I will say that I wrote a story um, recently uh, where a a building has to collapse, and it was very hard. To write it and not have it be like, oh, this is about nine eleven. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard to do it. It 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 fucked up b- b- buildings collapsing. It's impossible to not have it <laughs> so, like that. So, Kurt, I, I had also pointed out. Uh, I mean, you know, not off off the you know when we weren't recording that. Um, I just found it really weird that you know it, it's it's sort of like this weird thing where uh, the 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 response story decides to sort of deal with these sort of easily I I I, I this is gonna sound mean, but it's almost like meme versions of uh you know past injustices, right? And I was like thinking more and more about like, well, why didn't they include, you know, why didn't the story include like the triangle shirt waste fire? You know, because like I, I didn't even know about the dude that was like helping people like these women jump, like throw them out the windows because that that actually goes back to the that that variant of the trolley problem that I was talking about where, you know, the women didn't want to jump out because a lot of them believed uh, that if they jumped out and were a suicide, they would go to hell. Right. Jesus. And so I I just feel like I don't know thematically like the dude that was like helping them by pushing them out the window is almost thematically 
you know, like a, a parallel to like someone, oh, I need to help you. I need to help in some way. This is the way I help. And it's a fucked up way of helping. Yep. I don't know, man. It's it's just the more I think about it, the more it sort of like it, it just takes root in my brain because it's like, yeah, that that would have been more interesting. And and it's you know, it, sure, the the radium girls are, are are also a labor issue, but the shirtweight fire is like really a legit <laughs> labor issue that uh if if i'm remembering correctly they just like well you know okay well we had this fire they set up shop again and just continued making another business yeah no problem people do need their shirt waists well i mean but but i think it, it deals with the colonists, the, idea- the colonists need their shirt waists <laughs> that's the thing right <laughs> the colonists need their shirts right what are you gonna do because just walk out in the in this cold planet without a shirt on i just want to call out if you're listening to this and you haven't read the story you could have read it three times <laughs> Yes. <laughs> One thing that I hope happens from Pete being back on the podcast is that is that we finish in under an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a believer, man. It it can happen. It can happen. I'm sorry. We we keep on getting off on tangents, and I think we've tangented out of this particular yes. story, folks. Um, so uh, I think that's it for me. Any last thoughts? I would like more moral quandary um short stories uh in science fiction and fantasy i like them i think they're good and i think it's good to antagonize your reader uh a little bit um no comfort for readers they deserve punishment and pain and i enjoyed (laughs) that aspect of it i've got a proposal for you walter john williams wrote a short story called side effects all right. And it is, it is a moral it? quandary mud pit. Oh, yes. Sold. Sold. I love it. All right. Let's, I'm going to look that up, Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, uh, anything else before we go? Just I'm, uh, I'm happy to have drunk, what, five beers with you? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, likewise, man. Likewise. likewise. I will have. I, I, I am still, I'm still working on my one. So, oh my anyway. god! <laughs> I started I started drinking scotch about twenty minutes ago, so I'm 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 uh I'm fully 1954 now. <laughs> oh, that that's Kurt. That sounded like uh like Ozymandias. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've drunk. I've started drinking scotch thirty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. um well, anyway, anyway, gents, uh, where can we find your stuff? Tell us where what irons you have in the fire. We we are now about to be working at Parents Just Don't Understand, our, our leftist uh, parenting and children's media podcast, with an actual editor who will actually um, be, be not me, critically, and will edit our uh, stuff. And so hopefully there will be like four or five new episodes in the near future, um, including some with you all on it, including one that we recorded over a year ago at this point. <laughs> and I'm just going to pretend that that's not the case. Um and uh, it's going to be great. and It's going to be good. Um, you can also find uh, my magazine at bloodknife.com and patreon.com slash bloodknife. We just put out two uh, original pieces of short fiction. The Empath by Raquel S. Benedict, late of this podcast, 
um, which I will say is a is a bit of a is a bit of a moral parable um, short story, mm-hmm. uh, and you should read it. Uh, and we also put out a nice little piece of kind of dark, far future sci-fi. Uh, cl- cl- I guess you could call it like climate uh, apocalypse sci-fi uh, by Dennis Mombauer called uh, "Because They Would Not Stop" um, or "Because They Could Not Stop." Um, and both mm-hmm. of those are available on bloodknife.com. And also, as Pete so helpfully teed up, uh, July 16th, 2022, something will happen in Philadelphia. I can't say what yet, but soon I can say what. It's going to be cool, and uh, you're going to want to be there if you can. There's going to be a lot of desks that all want to flip. That are all going to get flipped. Uh, Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, well... And I do want to thank you all for coming on and talking about the cold equations on this episode of Podside Picnic. Thanks for coming on, and thanks everyone to li- that, that is listening. We'll catch you next time.